Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. You know, the ministry world that I'm a part of, you know, some of you, you're in educational world, technology, different things like that, and business. I'm in the ministry kind of world. That's my little bubble that I live in. And um, oftentimes, you know that things happen in the bubble that you work in and live in that can rock that a little bit. Um, for, for me, uh, it, I really felt like the church bubble that I live in oftentimes was rocked, I guess maybe it was last month or the month before, when there was a, a senior pastor, a lead pastor, 30 years old, down in Southern California, three children and a wife. He had been battling depression pretty much his whole life, but severely in the last few years, he took his own life. And he's pastoring a church, a new church, just like our church here. And when I, I remember seeing his wife post a, a picture on Instagram, um, and it was, it just, man, I, it just broke me down. I couldn't stop crying. And, I, and, and really, it became a topic in the church world. And a lot of pastors were saying, look, even pastors deal with this. It's, it's not just people that have a clinical, you know, problem or issue. It, like, it, it, it can touch all of us. It can touch everyone. Now, let me just tell you that this is a topic that I think we've got to talk about in church. Like, we, we can't just say, kind of say we're just going to talk about some, some you know, feel-good messages, you know, in church. But we have to, we have to deal with, with, with the things that people are actually walking through. Not just people outside of the church, people within the church. People even on the platform are dealing with depression. Now, I'm going to be just completely candid with you. I'm not naive enough to believe that I'm going to fix some, some problem in just a few moments that we have here today. But hopefully we can lean into God's word and he can shed some light on it. But what I do know about things like depression, um, it's much like what we talked about with anxiety a few weeks back. There's some things, I think there's three different things. There's sometimes uh, the problem that people are dealing with depression is clinical. It is actually clinical. It is a clinical problem, and there needs to be counseling. There needs to be medication. There needs to be things like that. There's maybe a chemical imbalance. So many times it is clinical. Uh, sometimes it is spiritual. It really is. You can see it in Scripture. Uh, even with, remember, Saul, King Saul, he was being tormented. He wasn't, you don't see that earlier in his leadership, but later on he began to be tormented and depressed and overwhelmed, and literally he was going crazy, and the only thing that could soothe his insanity was worship when David would come and lead him in worship. So it was spiritual for him. So sometimes it's clinical, sometimes it's spiritual. Listen, sometimes it's just practical. Sometimes we can do things in our life and create lifestyles in our life that can actually make us spiral down into depression. Sometimes it's the Trinity. It's all three of those things. So today, what do we do? We say, God, what, what do you want to say to us? We must do what only we can do. Let doctors do what only they can do, but ultimately let God, let God do what only he can do. Let me give you this little definition really quick on depression. Uh, depression is this. It's a mood disorder characterized by anhedonia. What is anhedonia? That's a $10 word for you. The inability to feel pleasure from things that once brought you pleasure. That's what that is. Extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite. Feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. When, when I read that, I don't know about you guys, but when I read that description, I saw that there are a lot of times in my life where it looks as if I've dealt with depression, but I didn't know how to tag it with that. 
You, if you just look at that little description there, you can look back over times in your life where maybe you weren't in a deep, dark hole of depression, but there may be some of those signs there, the beginning stages of, of depression in that dark place that you find yourself in. Listen to me. If you find yourself identifying with that description right now, listen, you are not strange. I want you to hear me say this. I really felt this in my spirit this morning and last night. I want you to know that you are not broken. You are not strange. You are not messed up. You're not worse than anyone else in this room. Listen, we all have issues. My issues have issues. Okay? But this is a safe space and place for you to for you to deal with the things that you're dealing with. And I want you to know that as a church. I grew up in a church where you had to wear the mask. And I decided if I ever pastored a church, I would create a church where we checked our mask at the door. Where we could deal with the things that we're dealing with in a safe place around a group of people that are grace-filled, that will extend unqualified kindness and love and acceptance, that will love you right where you are, but will refuse to let you stay where you are and will hold your hand and walk with you on your spiritual journey. How many are grateful that, we, that we're in a church like that, that we serve a God like that? Listen to me. Let me look at these. I'm not going to give you a ton of stats, but... But look at this, one out of nine people are currently on depression medication. One out of nine. One out of five people have been on depression medication in the past. I'm not against depression medication. I actually think that if that's what the doctors have prescribed for you, you need to take it. I think one of the worst things, I remember, uh, I remember someone that I knew years ago that was on, a, a Christian on depression medication. They had some crazy wacko Christian told them that they didn't have enough faith in God to believe for healing and they need to stop taking their medication. They stopped taking their medication suddenly and then they ended up committing suicide. So I, I want you to hear me when I say this. I don't, I don't think, I'm not at all saying medication's a bad thing. I think it's so strange that we live in a culture now that has so made depression taboo and, and having to take medication for depression, they've made it so bad that it, it's, it's, it's so crazy to me because if I were to have a cold and tell you, which I do have right now, you can probably hear a little bit, and I took medicine this morning, so if I say anything crazy, it's the Sudafed, okay? But... Um, <laughs> But look at that. You laugh. See, because watch. And I say that on purpose because if I say I have a cold and I have to take medication, no one judges me. But if someone's depressed and has to take medication or see a counselor, we live in a world that can kind of be like, oh, he's a little crazy. She's a little crazy. We live in a world like that oftentimes. And I don't think it's okay. Here's what I want you to write down. This is what you need to know. It's okay not to be okay. You need, you need to hear that. Someone, you just, you need to hear me say this today. It's okay not to be okay. And God, he is, he is here for you and we are a church community. We, we are here for you. Listen, it's not a sin to be sick, but listen to me. Your illness is not your identity. Your illness is not your identity. Why are many people not Okay. Why are many people struggling under the weight of this thing we call depression? One of the things that I'm discovering, not in every case, but in many cases, depression is actually, look, it's actually lifestyle-induced. If you don't believe me, look at what the author of The, the Depression Cure said. Look, look at this. This is so, so crazy. We were never designed for the sedentary. 
indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. Literally what the the author of the the depression cure is saying, our lifestyles have actually caused us, it's, it's actually rewired us and it's made us become something that we never were designed to become. I realize that some people are born with a natural proclivity towards deep discouragement, despair, and depression. And some of it may be literally a chemical imbalance. But what many, listen to me, many people in the medical field believe is, is that it, is, it has actually become the lifestyle that we have now in our life that's actually causing us to spiral down into depression. And even if it's not just um, catalyzed by that type of lifestyle, it is, it is actually per, uh, per, makes it perpetual and worse, and it magnifies the depression that may exist because of a chemical imbalance. And you add, add to the things that I just mentioned there, cell phones and social media use. I mean, literally, there's like a tour going around right now from people, uh, people that have been, were a part of creating um, many of the social media things that we enjoy today. And I'm not like against social media. I love social media. But there are many people that were a part of the creation and the ideation of social media stuff that are going around saying, man, we, we have screwed people up. There are people that are owning up to that and apologizing to the public because of much of, of the problem that people are so distracted and so busy and so just, just, just going off the rails because they just live in this world on their, on their, in their handheld device. You have lack of identity is another issue. That's why almost every message you hear me preach is a lot of times it just goes back to your identity in Christ. Because we, have a, we live in a world where people just do not know who they are. They just don't have their identity secure in Christ. That their identity is found in their performance, found in popularity, found in the acceptance and the approval of other people. And we have people that are so, their identity is so on, built upon things that are so shaking and so unstable. When one thing kind of shifts to the left or to the right, they lose their mind and their emotions run wild. Why? Because their identity is not found solid and stable in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Inability to process pain. That's another reason why. Here's another one, peer-to-peer mentoring. That is this, is that we, don't, we no longer look, a previous generation would look to, to elders, to those that are more seasoned with wisdom to help them navigate life. Now we just have peer-to-peer mentoring. And so we're looking for uh, advice and wisdom from a bunch of people around us that their life is in no better place than ours is. Man, that is really good. <laughs> and we have a narcissistic culture. All these things add to the depression that many of us deal with. Now, this strikes really close to home for me. Not just that I've dealt with depression before in my life. I've had family members that have walked through really dark stages of depression. But one of my closest friends in high school, Justin Richard, we, uh, we, we grew up together. We played football together. His father was a, a, a minister, was a pastor of a church. And Justin always had had some dark moments in his life where he dealt with deep insecurity. A lot of it was identity issues. Um, really was confused with his sexuality and was always wondering and always tormented and then was bullied by some people because of things. And, and he was a very disturbed young man. He, he tried to live for God. He tried to, to do the church thing. He, he tried all those things, but he was just he was very disturbed and very depressed. He walked through depression in a deep way. He tried to medicate it with, with, with substance abuse and with relationships and all those things. And finally, I remember getting a call probably in 2005. I think it was the year that Jennifer and I got married. And I got a call that Justin had went to a pawn shop, purchased a 25 
millimeter uh, handgun and went home to his grandmother. He lived with his grandmother, went home to his grandmother's and just walked in her backyard and he shot himself in the head because he had dealt with depression so bad and literally he just, he could not deal with it anymore. And I remember laying in my bed for probably two or three days, just, just crying, just thinking, man, could I have done something to help Justin? What? I can't believe he was that in a place that dark and he felt that hopeless. And it just really, it, it brought such, such sadness to my heart to know that a, a friend of mine that close to me was dealing with depression and I didn't even really know it. I didn't know it was that dark. Some of you, you know people like that that have dealt with depression to that severe place and, 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 and you just don't know how can you help them. Because don't you want to do that, right? Don't you want to help the people that are in that place? And sometimes we feel like we're hopeless. Like, how do I help? What do I do? And I don't have all the answers for that. But, you know, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church down in Southern California, his son dealt with deep depression and ended up taking his own life. And when I've heard Pastor Rick talk about this, one of the things he always says every time he talks about depression is he says, you've got to be equipped with some type of resource to help people with when they're walking through that. And I want to put this on the screen for you really quick. Take out your phone, take a picture of it. Maybe you already know this, but the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is this number right up on the screen, 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK. One of the best things you can do is when you have a conversation with someone and you get any of those subtle, um, subtle things that maybe they'll say, that they're, they're, they've, been, they've at least thought about something. Maybe even ask a question like, have you thought about how you would commit suicide? And I know I'm, get, I'm, I'm like very much just down in the weeds talking to you about things, but I just want to be practical to help you. Is that okay if I could just help you so that you could help people? The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that my job as a pastor is not to do ministry, but to equip you to do ministry. I want to equip you to do ministry. And, 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 and if you have someone ever talk to you and they say, I've, I've considered or I've thought about suicide. Ask them the question, how? Have you thought about how you would do that? And if they have, some, have thought through some type of strategy or plan, then you know that this has been serious. This has been something they've been thinking about for a while. You need to, you need to, you need to have resources like this that you can provide them and, and walk with them through that. I'll tell you this, as a church, if you ever deal with this, if you ever have thoughts of suicide, we would love to minister to you. We'd love to help, help you in any way possible. Reach out to us. Please don't deal with that by yourself. Let us walk with you. We can help you in the spiritual sense, but also we can help you find good Christian counselors. We've connected many people at our church with Christian counselors here in Noe Valley and around this area, and we want to walk with you in whatever, whatever place you may be in in your journey. But, but here, let's get to the scriptures. What does the Bible have to say about this? You know that many people in the Bible, they dealt with depression. Jeremiah, the prophet, he was actually one of them. Look at Lamentations chapter 3. He says this in verse 17. I have been deprived of peace. What is he saying? I've lost my peace. Like there's a restlessness in my mind and my soul, and I'm deprived of it. I don't have peace anymore. He says, I have forgotten what prosperity is. He's completely forgotten about any blessings that have ever happened in his life. He says, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. What is he saying? I've lost my hope. I've become hopeless. I remember my affliction and my wandering. And he says, the bitterness in the gal, the gal it says, I, I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. What is Jeremiah saying? He's like, I'm depressed. I'm so down. I'm, I'm so discouraged. Listen, it's not just us. There's times when people, great heroes of the faith. Jeremiah was one of God's men, one of his prophets. And he said, I'm downcast. I'm void of peace. 
I've forgotten the good things. Didn't you know that that's where a lot of times it starts? We forget about the good things. We, 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 we forget about the blessings of God. We forget about our children. We can forget about the house. We can forget about the car, forget about the job, forget about the fingerprints of God that have been all over our life throughout the years. And we can just focus on the current temporary situation and circumstance. And we begin to focus on it and it brings us down and we begin to feel hopeless. Look at what Paul says. Even the Apostle Paul. We read this last week, but I want to read it again. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were, look at this, under great pressure. We live in a world right now, we have so much pressure on us. Pressure to perform at work. Pressure under, under job insecurity at work because so many people, it's so competitive out there. We have pressures from our bills. Pressures from relationships where people project their expectations on us. Hello. I mean, we have so many pressures on us. And you can literally feel like your life is just under a weight pressing you down. He says, man, I was under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we look at this, we despaired of life itself. You know what he's saying? I was under so much pressure, I just wish I could die. This is the Apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, planted churches all over the, the region there that he was at. This is unbelievable that even he was so discouraged, so depressed at times, and so much under pressure that he despaired even of life. Now, I want to do this. I want to take, I want to take the, next, the last few moments that we have. I want to, I want to go to, to 1 Kings 19, and I want to give you something very practical, basically not to do, and very practical, some things that you can do that can help you in the spiral of depression. Some of you today, you are dealing with depression. Some of you are not, and you're like, I'm good. Can I, you know, head out and go to a restaurant now? No, not yet. Because there will come a day, there will, there will potentially come a day where you may deal with depression. There, there may come a day where you may deal with a dark moment in your life. We talked about surviving life's worst moments. Well, this is like almost like part two of last week because sometimes you can have a circumstance shift in your life and it's in those moments where it's almost like a door opens and the enemy can use that to just bring a wave of depression into your life. It's just the way that it works. So I want to equip you. I want to help you today. First Kings chapter 19, our, our text that we're going to use uh, is this, is that this is the story uh, about a guy named Elijah. He's another one of God's prophets. Uh, he's a spokesperson, an advocate for God, and uh, would speak God's word to the children of Israel. And um, if you, before we look at this story, you got to know chapter 18 was one of the greatest moments of his ministry, one of the highlights one of the mountaintop moments of his ministry where he goes and he basically goes man to man with the prophets of Baal. Go read it when you get a chance. 500 prophets, excuse me, prophets of Baal, the false god Baal. 500 of these prophets said that their God was the true God against one guy, Elijah. And Elijah said, no, my God is the true God. It's the God of Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I serve the true God. And so they said, fine, well, let's do a little like combat here. Let's go you know, face to face, kind of like the battle rounds at the voice. I love the voice. It's like the voice battle rounds between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And they're right there. And literally, it's amazing. The prophets of Baal, they sacrifice to the, their, their God, and they're praying, and they're cutting themselves, saying, our God's going to bring down fire. Well, he never responds because, 
there's no God other than our one true God. And so, so Elijah steps in and starts making fun of him. He's like, where's Baal at? Is he out relieving himself? Literally, this, you should read this in the scriptures. He begins to make fun of him and his sarcasm. He's like, Baal must be relieving himself. And so I'm going to pray to my God. And the prophets of Baal all day long prayed to their God, and he never responded. Elijah prayed one simple prayer. Just one prayer. Do you know that some of you are one prayer away from a miracle? It doesn't take a polished prayer. It takes a sincere prayer. And Elijah prays a sincere prayer to his God. And God shows up. And God does this wonder. I don't even understand it, but fire comes down from heaven and just completely consumes the sacrifice. Probably because of this. Side note, the prophets of Baal, their sacrifice was bulls. The prophet Elijah, his sacrifice was not just some bull on the altar. He dug a trench around the altar and filled it with water. You know why? Because in that day it was a drought. And so he took the very thing that made no sense and he put it on the altar. When they had a famine of water, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a true sacrifice. They're not even willing to sacrifice to their God. I'm willing to sacrifice to my God. It's not about the bull on the altar. It's about the water. I'm saying that God is my source. God responds to sacrifice. And he responds, and the fire of God touches this altar. And on that day, I mean, talk about an amazing moment, right? This is an amazing moment for this guy. I mean, he's on cloud nine, and then the very next chapter, a wave of depression hits him. Side note right here. Here's what I've discovered. Sometimes it's not just whenever a, 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 bad, things ha- a bad thing happens when the enemy comes in with a wave of dis- depression or discouragement. Sometimes it's immediate after a high moment. Sometimes it's, it's after this huge win in your life, amazing moment. You know why? Because the enemy wants to come in and he wants to knock you back down. That's what he does. Sometimes for me, just to be candid, sometimes for me, you know what it is? Sunday night. Sunday night is the place where I have to guard, or Sunday afternoon is the place where I have to guard my heart, guard my spirit. We could have a great day on a Sunday morning, house filled with people, people worshiping God, and the enemy will creep in my mind and just make me mill over one word that I said wrong in my message, or one sentence that I said something stupid, or whatever, and then I'll just get going in this direction. I've got to guard those moments, because sometimes it's after a big moment, the devil can come in and do some of his greatest work you got to be on guard. After a big moment, this is just free for you right here, okay? After a big moment in your life, you get the promotion, you land the job, you finally get the housing you've been praying and believing for, whatever it may be, after that moment, you need to be on guard. I'm going to tell you to be paranoid, but the Bible says be aware of the enemy's schemes. One of his schemes is after a high moment, he'll try to knock you down. 1 Kings 19, it says this, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Um, Jezebel and Ahab are the enemies of Elijah. So now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. The 500 were put to the sword. Verse 2, so Jezebel, this is just one woman, okay? This guy just defeated, killed 500 prophets, and now there's one woman that's mad at him. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Rather, she sent a message to Elijah to say this. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make uh, your life like the one of them. Basically saying, tomorrow you will be dead. This is one woman. He's just taken out 500 men, and there's this one woman that comes and tries to make him afraid by, by really, she's speaking a lie. There's no way she can kill him. There's no way. This God has God on his side. And she says, by this time tomorrow you will be dead. And look at this. It says, verse 3, Elijah was afraid. This is a guy that just had like highlight reel moment. 
the previous chapter. But now it says this emotion of fear comes on him and he runs for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, look at this, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. In other words, he went by himself and isolated himself. He came to a broom bush, sat down, under, which is a juniper tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Can't take it anymore. Take my life. Literally, he's suicidal. He says, I am no better than my ancestors. Now, I want to give you just a few thoughts really quick, some things that he did wrong that I just want to warn you with, because if you want, if you want, to, if you want your life to spiral down in depression, just do what he did. Okay, but if you don't, just listen to this. The first thing is this: you've got to you've got to beware of toxic thinking. You got to beware of toxic thinking. She sends a message to him that is a lie. It's a deceptive thought, a de- deceptive idea that she's going to kill him. He buys into the lie that she sends. And he begins to mill it over in his mind. Remember last week we talked about ruminating? He begins to ruminate over this in his mind. He's going over in his mind. Fear grips his heart. And then he begins to make some really dumb decisions. All because of toxic thinking. By the way, watch this. A broom tree, the tree that he goes and he lays under, the the very roots underneath the surface, the very roots of a broom tree are actually so toxic that if you ate them or touched the juice, if you drank some of the juice from those roots, you would die. Here's the point I'm trying to make is that when you get to that place where you get underneath so much of the lies of the enemy in your mind and you believe in them, they become toxic to your soul. This is toxic thinking. He's under a broom tree. He's under a juniper tree, and he's just thinking about Jezebel, this woman that's going to come and kill him and all this stuff, when he, he has forgotten that he has the God of the universe on his side. The Bible says if God before you, Who can be against you? He's forgotten that. He was afraid and he ran for his life. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through. Some of you need to break through. And break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of of the true knowledge of God. Look at this. We capture, so we can and we capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Come on, so you're like, Hercules, Hercules. Y'all need to, y'all can clap whenever, if you just send something, you just feel free to start clapping, okay? You can go there. Somebody like, can I clap? Can I clap? I don't know. I don't know. Liberate them, Lord. <laughs> but look at this. I, some of you, you needed this scripture. When I read this scripture, I literally read this scripture this morning, added it to my notes, and I felt like it was from the Holy Spirit because some of you don't think you can. Some of you don't think you can control your thoughts. Some of you don't think you can restrain your thoughts. Some of you don't think you can, you can tear down those, those, those deceptive fantasies, the what ifs. That's what it is. What if, what if it doesn't work out? What if I have a miscarriage? What if, my, what if the diagnosis comes back? What if, what if, what if? Listen, you can tear down. You can, you can take those thoughts like a prisoner of war and you can put them in back to the pit of hell where they belong. Those are not the thoughts of God. Those are not what he thinks about your situation. Those are not thoughts that have come from the Holy Spirit. Those are thoughts that have come from the enemy. Listen, we can, it says in chapter 10, verse 5, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy. Some of you just need to tap into the power of God and you need to begin to demolish those thoughts that have tried to get you to a place where you're depressed. 
We can capture them. But listen, not only can you, not only do you have the authority to capture those thoughts, look at this. You have the authority to be able to think about the right things. Philippians 4 says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. One time Jennifer and I, we we were, uh, we just found out we were pregnant and we had this moment where we began to get all kind of afraid and and anxious about the pregnancy and everything. And then we were just, man, the thoughts started just flooding in. And, and really, it became very discouraging. And you know what we did? We said, you know what? We're going to pray Philippians 4. We're going to worry about nothing, pray about everything. We're going to present our requests before God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will guard our hearts and mind. And then it goes to this and says, and anything that is excellent and praiseworthy, we're going we're to start thinking about that. So not only do you, you, you take your bad thoughts captive and, and you cast them down, you then begin to fill your mind with, with praiseworthy thoughts. So you know what we started doing? We said, I'm not going to think about us having a miscarriage or having complications with us. I'm going to begin to think about what's my son's eyes going to look like. I'm going to begin to think about me throwing football with my son. I'm going to begin to think about what's his room going to look like. Actually, that got me discouraged because that meant I, I'm going to have to put together a bedroom and a bedroom set and stuff. So we stopped thinking about that. But do you see what I'm saying? Listen, some of you that deal with depression, you would do good to, to demolish the thoughts, recognize that that's not a thought from the Holy Spirit, cast it down, and then start thinking about praiseworthy thoughts, excellent thoughts. Can somebody say amen? amen? Okay, sorry, I'm getting a little fired up there. All right, here's the second thing he did. He isolated himself. Isolation, we talked about this a little bit last week, but isolation, I think, is one of the primary schemes of the enemy to destroy us. When you have anxious thoughts, you can isolate yourself in your anxiety, and he will just, he'll have his way with you. When you go through a tough time in your life, you can isolate yourself, and you can try to walk through it by yourself, and it will destroy you. When you're in depression, it's one of the worst things you can do. One of the worst things. I won't stay too long on this point, but look what he says in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. First mistake he made right there. He left his servant here. He says, you stay there. I'm going over here by myself. One of the dumbest things he ever did. When you isolate yourself, you are, it is like taking fuel and pouring it on a depression fire. Because you, you get in your own head and it just starts, go, oh, it can be one of the worst things. And then the enemy just comes in and he just starts working you over all by yourself. We talked about it last week, so I don't want to stay there too long, but I just wanted to share with you one thing from my experience. This past week, I was with, with one of the small groups that I'm a part of, and we spent some time worshiping together and praying together. And some of us shared some very vulnerable things that we're walking through in our life. And it was one of the most beautiful moments I've ever had with this group of people. We shared about our emotions. We shared about our discouragement. We shared about some of even our, our depression and thoughts that we've had. And you know what we did? We gathered around one another, we encouraged one another, we worshiped together, and we prayed for one another. Listen, I, I, I don't care. I, I really hope you, you join one of our small groups here at our church. But I so believe in this point of not isolating yourself. I don't care if you go to someone else's small group at another church. You just got to have a community. Don't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. It's where the enemy does some of his greatest work. Listen to me. I say it all the time. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. You don't have to tell everyone everything, but someone needs to know every thought and every feeling that you're having and let them walk with you through it. Here's, here's a third one they did. He was led by his feelings. It says he came to a, a broom bush, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, I've had enough. Can't take it anymore. Take my life. In this moment, he is being led by his feelings. Listen to me. 
We, we, we have to make a decision that we're not going to be led by toxic thoughts or by our own emotions, but we're going to be led by the truth of God's word, the truth of his word. Look what Psalm 119 says. Truth's shining light guides, my, guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. You know what depression does? It, it, it basically, it, what it does, it clouds our view. And we cannot make a clear decision in our life, in the path of our life. We cannot make it. And, and so what do we need? We need the truth of God's word. We need his word to shed light on our path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need his word to do that. Here's the last thing that he did that was really a, just a, a no-no, a bad thing. It's comparison. You know, what? look what he does. He says, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He's comparing his life to a previous generation. Here's what I've discovered in my own life. One of the quickest ways I can get down is to get on social media and start looking at other pastors and their churches and their success and to compare our success to those churches. Now, I'm just being real with you. Some of you, one of the worst things you can do is you can get on social media and, and you can start looking at other people that have a ton of friends and you feel like you have no friends. You start looking at someone else's house or their car and, and you, you don't have a nice house or you don't have a nice car. You walk into church and you see people that look like they have it all together, but you feel like you don't have, and you begin to compare yourself to other people. Listen, God never compares what he creates. When we start comparing, we start competing. When we start competing, we start get being filled with pride or insecurity and sometimes depression when we begin to compare our life to other people's lives. Why is it that no one ever posts the bad parts of their life? Some people do, but they have a, victim, they have a victimizing mentality and they want everybody to feel sorry for them. That's why they post that stuff on social media. But I'm asking you this, why is it that most of the time people just post their highlights? So what we do is this, is we compare the, our real world to people's highlight reels. And it, and it propagates a depression and a discouragement in our lives. So how do we fix this? He goes on in, in verse 5 through 19. I won't read it because of the sake of time. He, he, he falls asleep and he rests. And an angel of the Lord comes to him. See, God will never leave you in your depression. Angel of the Lord comes to him in his rest. Some of you just need to take, you just need a rest. And that may even help you with your depression or discouragement. Just need, your body needs rest. He rests. An angel comes to him, says, get up and eat. Begins to feed him. He actually, there's some hot bread on a stone. I just like to imagine there was some butter there as well. In my gluten-free world, I wish I could have some, some bread. But bread and butter right there, right? He starts eating and then he rests again. He's resting and he's eating. What is he doing? He's being nourished. He's taking, God's wanting to take care of his body. See, a lot of times some of the depression and the discouragement that we feel is actually because our bodies are so beat down. And he, and he spends that moment where he's resting and he's eating and he's being nourished. The word of the Lord comes to him. He says, get up and I want you to, to get alone with God. He goes to a cave and he's in a cave and it's in that moment where God says, I'm gonna to speak to you in this cave. And in that cave first, it's, you know, it's like an earthquake, the, the, the ground shakes and God wasn't in the earthquake and you know, a wind blows and God wasn't in a wind in the wind and the fire comes and God wasn't in the fire. That's actually the original earth, wind and fire right there. You see that? Like what I did there? But then, but then you know what happens? A still small voice, this whisper of the Lord comes. That's why I loved in worship earlier. We just got quiet for a moment. For some of you that may have been awkward. It's okay. Sometimes it, we need to just get still and allow the whisper of the Lord 
to speak to us in our discouragement, speak to us in our pain, speak to us in our moments. But here's the things that he did that I think that you and I can do, and I'll just say them really quick. Number one, you need to get healthy physically. If you're dealing with depression, listen to me today. This is just very practical. It may be from eating a ton of fast food or not exercising or not just getting rest. I give you permission to take a long nap today, okay? One of the best things we can do is just get rest physically. I have a friend the other day told me he deals with anxiety and depression. He said the best thing he started doing was just resting more, getting rest for his body. Second thing is this, is he poured his heart out to God. Elijah poured his heart out to God. He said, God, he just started pouring his heart out to God. I love what it says in Psalm 62, trust in him at all times, you people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is your refuge. Lamentations 2, arise, cry out in the night, as the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Some of you just need to pour your hearts out to God. Just let him hear your heart. If you don't pour out your heart and it stays in there, it will remain toxic. Pour your heart out to the Lord. Number three, he experienced the power and the presence of God. Do you know why we go so hard in worship here? Do you know why passion is our response? It's not because we're Pentecostal or charismatic or any of those labels. It's because we are desperate for the power and the presence of God in our life. We are, we've gotta have his presence. We need it, I need his presence. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm just not that good. I need the presence and the power of God in my life. That's why I raise my hands. That's why you may see me jump sometimes. You may see me kneel down or see me weeping and crying. It's not because I'm, I'm, I'm some special pastor. It's not because I'm some certain denominational background or whatever. It's because I'm desperate. I'm desperate for the presence and the power of God in my life. Every morning I'll try, I try to do it every morning, right? Some moment in my day, I'll go in my little office, I'll turn on some worship and I just say, God, I need your presence in my life. I need your presence. I need your power. And the fourth one is this. He let God give him a new purpose and a new direction for his life. See, God comes to him with that word in the cave and he says this to him. He says, Elijah, you've been in this cave too long. I need you to get out of the cave and I want you to go. He's reminding him of his calling. He says, you're a prophet. You get your anointing oil and I want you to go and there's two kings I want you to anoint for leadership go and anoint them for leadership. He says, the next thing I want you to do is, there's a young man named Elisha. I want you to go and find that young man. He's gonna be your protege. And I want you to invest your life in him. And Elijah gets up, filled with confidence again. He has shooken off the depression. He comes out of the cave with a new vision and a new mission. And he goes out there and he, watch this. He's, his, the secret, the prescription is, God says, stop focusing on yourself. and Focus on some other people. And what I've discovered is a lot of times, one of the remedies, or at least one of the things that can help me get through my depression is to get my eyes and my mind and my thoughts off of me and my circumstances and just invest my life, pour my life into somebody else. It's one of the greatest things we can do. They have proven this with tests, that people that are going through hard times in their life, that they've literally seen the chemicals in their mind, they've seen things shift and change when they just simply begin to focus on helping other people. Literally, one of the remedies that we have, I think God has given us, is when we say, you know what, God, give me fresh vision, fresh purpose. Help me not to just think about myself and help me to start pouring my life out for other people. Let God do that in your life. If you're dealing with depression today, I'm going to encourage you, pour your life out for somebody else. Go walk through the tenderloin. Pour your life into somebody else. Somebody at your work that's going through a tough time, invest your life into them and watch how God will use it to bring a healing in your life. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.